Hi, and welcome to episode 15 of the Facts and Blog and Podcast. I'm not behind the desk this week because we have a really special treat. Earlier this week, we were able to visit the Tri-State Warbird Museum just down the road from us in Batavia, Ohio. They opened up their doors for us so we could go in, collect some footage, take some pictures, take some video of our new Mustang limited edition rifle that's going to be coming out on the 27th and uh, they also agreed to do the podcast with us. So what you're about to enjoy is a private tour of some of the most prized airplanes in their collection, and we would love for you to support them as well. At the end of the podcast, we are going to flash up their website and social media channels for you to look at, Uh, but this is a wonderful, wonderful little gym here in Southern Ohio. They have their planes ready to fly. They're not just empty carcasses. They restore these, they build them from scratch, they salvage them, and they really do cherish the history behind each one. You may have seen them before at Cincinnati Reds games and Bengals games and different World War II honor flight style events. Uh, It's something very, very special. So without any further ado, I'm going to move over to that interview and you'll get to meet both David and Stephanie from the Warburg Museum. At the museum, do you guys just want to introduce yourselves? David, we'll start with you and what, what you do here. Uh, my name is David O'Malley. I'm the president of the museum. So I'm kind of the guy in charge of keeping the lights on and keeping the airplanes in, uh, well-fed in terms of funding and that kind of stuff. Very good, Stephanie. Yeah, um, Stephanie Feltz, uh, Director of Education and Public Programming. Um, ideas about events and um, trying to build awareness uh, to bring everyone to Tri-State Warbird Museum. Very good. Now, as most of you know, we are getting ready to launch our Mustang, our uh, P-51-inspired limited edition rifle that will be available online starting on May 27th. The folks here at uh, the Tri-State Warbird Museum were gracious enough to let us come in and do a photo video shoot so we could actually take pictures of our Mustang with a real Mustang, so it's pretty cool. Would you mind giving me the $2 tour of uh, what you all do? Why don't you go ahead and lead the way and I will follow along. Uh, how long has the uh, the museum been operating? Uh, so we broke ground in late 2003, um, opened to the public in 2005, um, moved airplanes and stuff in and we're working on airplanes throughout 2004. Um, and our Mustang, which we'll see in a little bit, was first flown in 2005. Excellent. So, gosh, you guys are four over 15 years. Go too far. Uh, this is the, the living, breathing heart of a P-51 Mustang. So this is a V-1650 uh, Rolls-Royce Merlin V-12 engine. This is actually a brand newly overhauled and pickled spare. Uh, when we had the engine built for the airplane, for the engine that's in the airplane, we decided to kind of buy some insurance by having a backup that would maybe make the one that's in the airplane live a little bit longer. Uh, so this, this engine's ready to go in the airplane, uh, 1500 horsepower, twin stage supercharged, pretty much work of art really. Yeah, for sure. Probably the coolest sounding piston engine in the world in my opinion. Very cool. So we'll go into hangar one first. 
which is this is sort of the the finished airplane hangar. Uh, we've got we've got a second one where more active restoration and bigger airplanes live. Uh, but the first thing we come to is a Curtis Wright P40M Kitty Hawk. So this airplane was actually part of the Lend Lease program in World War II. Um, it was built by Curtis Wright in Buffalo, New York. Uh, as soon as it was completed, it was actually taken apart and put into a shipping container where it went on a ship and went to uh, New Zealand where it served with the Royal New Zealand Air Force. This is an actual war surviving airframe. Um, ended up in a junkyard cut into pieces, uh, bought by a collector who intended to restore it. Didn't really happen. We ended up buying it from him and just chunks of airframe really. Um, shipped it here and put about 40 to 45,000 working hours into restoring it. Um, this was a late 30s design, um, single seat fighter. Um, it was used by a lot of different um, foreign militaries, including New Zealand, the RAF in England. We used it some, the famous fighting uh, flying tigers with the shark mouth nose, that would have been a P-40. Um, that's where that imagery came from. Um, it kind of led way from an engineering and manufacturing standpoint, the evolution of aeronautical engineering and the needs that came from World War II. So we went from P-40, which was, you know, technologically inferior to the Mustang in a lot of ways. It had a lot more drag, had thicker wings, it wasn't as fast and it couldn't breathe up high. So we needed, we needed faster, longer range. We needed, um, Easy, easier manufacturability. So from that came the P-51 Mustang. Um, this is our example. This is a flying airplane restored in-house. Um, so a lot of people call the P-51 Mustang the airplane that won World War II. And the reason for that is it gave us the ability to do long range bomber escort. So we took away a lot of drag from the, from the airframe type like a P-40 and what we did is we being the United States and North American aviation, a much more um, efficient airplane that could go further. So you could, instead of having to turn around two thirds of the way to occupied France and Germany, that the Mustang could escort a, a squadron of bombers all the way to the target and all the way home and keep them safe. This is uh, the, the thing that, you know, we looked at with the Mustang when we were designing ours, which, oh, look, it happens to be sitting right here. <laughs> How about that staging? Uh, we really tried to pay attention to some of the design cues, you know, that, that make the Mustang such a kind of a romanticized, you know, airplane. And like you and I were talking before about how, you know, the, the pinup pictures of the 40s and 50s That's this why was this the machine behind it yeah and uh, obviously we love to pay you know homage to you know our locale being in cincinnati this is you know fantastic but the thing where we try to capture was things like the checkerboards and the nose art uh, all the star shields and and the riveting uh, just kind of that uh, the, the the sleek silver that's with it and everything that's just so iconic and it's 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 funny that it's turned to such a romanticized look when really in the design portions this was just you needed it to function uh, more than anything that ended up being just incredibly attractive yeah I mean this is what most people would consider ideal looking mid mid 19th or 20th century fighter plane this is like the 
just standard thing of what it should look like. And it came out of need more than, than, yeah. than form. Now, something you mentioned, but, you know, some folks may not know is that you, you guys restore these to actually fly, like not just be a, a shell that sits in a hangar for people to look at, but you, you actually, you know, hire pilots and fly these things and, and do all that. I mean, what, what goes into keeping something like this up and going to be able to do those things? Well, at its core, we feel like static display aircraft are important. Um, it's important to see what the what they look like, but we feel like that only tells a part of the story. And the sounds and the noise and the smells and the visuals of seeing the airplane in the air—that's the airplane telling its own story on its own. So that's why we feel like it's important to bring them back to life entirely and see them fly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, all three of these fighters that you see here are in-house restorations. Um, so all of them basically came from bare, empty airframes, air, just shells of an airplane that had nothing inside them. And we you know, depending on the airplane, rebuilt wings from scratch or and designed from a blank sheet of paper, the entire systems inside the airplane that make it work to a more simplistic version of a restoration where, where all we were doing was taking apart an old thing, cleaning everything back up, painting it, servicing all of the moving parts and pieces, overhauling an engine and putting it back together. Now, you did say that... Um you said it was resident from the 50s to about the 70s. People thought remaining P-51s were kind of just a dime a dozen. And, and then it's only really been in the last 20 or so years that they've become kind of sought after and kind of resurrected, if you will, for, you know, for the sake of history. Yeah. So in World War II, at the end of when the war was over, these were tools to fight a war that ended. And at that time, they thought that was quote unquote, the war to end all wars. So war machines were superfluous. There was no need for them. They were pushed off of the decks of car aircraft carriers in the Pacific. Um, they were left in fields. They were scrapped and melted down into other things. Um, but a lot of them were sold as surplus. In the 70s, you could buy a P-51 Mustang for pennies on the dollar, and that would have been a really good investment back then. Um, but yeah, in the last 30 years or so, um, scarcity and uh, intrinsic value has come back to the point where something you could have bought for fifteen dollars or $2,000 in the 70s is now worth one and a half to five million, depending on what the airplane is. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, walk us around some more. Obviously, this was uh, the big thing that we wanted to see with the gun, but you, you guys have a lot. Sure. So this is our, our first restoration um, from one end to the other. The second one was the P-40. The most recently completed airframe back here would be our FW-190. So this is a German fighter basically the German complement to the P-51. Um, it's actually a reproduction. Uh, so in post-World post War II, the German war machine was entirely dismantled. So basically all the airframes, save things that were crashed or landed outside of Germany, were, were gone. They're basically, there's basically none left. I think there's two flying examples of an original airframe of an FW-190 in the world. Um, but a company in Germany, uh, set out to build reproductions from original tooling and drawings. Um, so this airframe started life there. We got it in 2007. It was an, a bare, as I said, bare airframe. There was sheet metal and structural parts, and that was about it. There was no systems, no engine, no, uh, no really anything other than just the outside shell of the airplane. So over about 10 years and 35 or 40,000 hours of work from our talented restoration crew, um, they basically designed everything from the firewall forward from a blank sheet of paper. These are all systems we designed and implemented in-house. Um, this airplane was completed 
uh, last year and flown for the first time in November. Uh, and it'll fly again in the next weeks and months. But this is probably an example of nine to 12 of these airplanes left flying in the world. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And then what's, uh, what do we have back here? What's the... So one of the goals of the museum was to kind of teach not just the story of the airplanes, but the story of the men and women who worked on and also flew the airplanes. And one of the really striking stories there is that these were just kids that, that were had no pilot training. A lot of them had no pilot training before the war. And so they got thrust into this job of you're going to be a fighter pilot with a blank, they're just a blank sheet. They're no experience. So we wanted to tell the evolution of the airplanes themselves, but also what it took to become a pilot and what the training process looked like. So this is a PT-17 Stearman. This would have been PT standing for primary trainer. Would have been one of the first airplanes that a cadet would have gotten into in their process of learning how to fly before they got into a, a fighter or a bomber. So this is a very simple airplane. It's fabric covered, fixed pitch propeller, no hydraulics of any kind, no flaps. It's designed to teach the, the primary techniques and tactics, the fundamentals of flight and nothing else. So it's relatively lightweight, it's relatively low power, it doesn't go very fast. All you're learning is stick and rudders how to fly. So this would have been step one or two in that process before you got into something more advanced. The Air Force and uh, similar Entities in World War II weren't very creative, so advanced trainer. So PT becomes AT, so this is an advanced trainer. So this is an AT-6. This would have been the next step. So you come out of a steerman with maybe 40 hours of experience and you get into this. And so you go from 2,000 pounds and 200 horsepower to 6,000 pounds and 600 horsepower, you gain things like hydraulic systems you have to deal with, a, a variable pitch propeller to control RPM, uh, flaps, starting to complicate things, develop their skills before you put them into a 400 mile an hour fighter plane. Um, so this was, this, this was the quintessential training aircraft of World War II. It was, it was nicknamed the pilot maker because basically every World War II pilot, bomber, um, fighter, what have you, all of them set foot in, in an AT-6 before they moved on to whatever they ended up flying. Um, that's This is the airplane that started the museum. My dad wanted a P-51 and no one, you know, no one actively knows how to do that anymore. So you, the thing to do is learn in what they learned. And so you get a T-6 first and that's sort of, this is the airplane that kind of started the snowball rolling down the hill that led to the museum being founded. It's amazing and awesome color uh, your guys' restoration stuff looks amazing i mean we're this i don't know how well it'll show through but this i mean it looks like it was lifted out of a history book you know it's uh it's it's amazing work you know that's that's part of the goal is every every part of the airplane whether it's in the air or sitting here and we're looking at it is telling some part of the story of history and so our our goal as much as humanly possible and there are some constraints <laughs> that hold us back sometimes <laughs> what's available and money and all kinds of things like that is to present the airplanes exactly as they would have been as much as we can so that you could, you're looking at what you would have looked at 70 years ago. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
And so you said this is the completed hangar, and then next door you actually have where restorations and, and yeah, things so, take place? You know, we do a lot of things here, but two of the things we do is we fly airplanes, and as a result of flying airplanes, you have to maintain them. And the other thing that happens is we, we're restoring airplanes. So this is more of where static things happen. Um, most of the heavy lifting work gets done in the other hangar. Also, we've got some more airplanes over there as a result. So we can go over and look at that. Um, now, you guys were saying uh, before we started uh, filming today that when you fly, it's for all kinds of different things. It's for, you know, baseball games. It's for private events. It's for, you know, uh, war hero recognition things. I mean, pretty much anywhere that someone wants to, you know, bring you out and support the museum, you know, you're able to come and, and put on a show. Yeah. So we've done everything from flying World War II veterans in the airplane they used during the service to the Indy 500 to uh, college and high school football games, Reds games, Bengals games, to the airplane in front of us, our B-25. We actually flew that airplane across the Atlantic Ocean in 2018 to Sardinia, Italy to film a, a remake of, of Catch-22 for uh, the streaming service Hulu. So the reality is anybody that'll pay us to keep these things in the air, yeah. if, if we can make, the, make it work, we, we, it, it, it helps us out because we get keep the airplanes flying and somebody else is paying the bill. Um, this is, that's one of the things is you got to keep them flying. You got to keep fluids yeah. running through them. That's, that's so, so this, you guys flew this plane yeah. back over the pond, as it were. Yeah. How long does that take? 31 hours oh going gosh. there and about 35 coming Without back. any creature comforts. No, <laughs> literally none. So it doesn't, it doesn't even have heat. Oh my gosh. Um, it took seven days, five flying days, four hour legs. One day was eight hours. Um, no heat. Turns that they left uh, two years ago yesterday, actually. Turns out it doesn't matter if it's May and 85 degrees in Cincinnati. At 10,000 feet in Greenland, it's still cold. <laughs> so they were flying for four hours at a time in 20 degree ambient temperatures sitting there with nothing, no movement, freezing. That's fantastic. We actually, they actually flew the ex exact same ferry route World War II pilots would have flown to get to the European theater. So landing on World War II air, airfields and the whole nine yards. So it's pretty amazing, amazing deal. Now, what, what about this plane? Was this a, a shell when it came to you? Was it functional like what how what state did the bomber come in um so we bought this as a restored flying airplane uh we want we had we had a trainer we had a couple trainers we had a couple we had a fighter and a couple fighter projects and we wanted something uh with some more ramp presence meaning size um and this is about as big as i'm willing to go in terms of what what we want to deal with and manage and operate two engine medium bomber it's it fits in our hangar door we don't have to have a, a entirely separate hangar for it the costs aren't totally insane this has twice as many engines as everything else in the in in the facility yeah so that right there is a significant increase in running costs and maintenance costs you can you go to a four engine bomber and you've doubled it again and that's that's starting to get pretty pretty impressive in terms of what it costs to do. So we wanted something that was reasonably okay to operate from a expenses standpoint, but we also wanted something historically significant that tells a, a good part story or good part of the World War II story. 
we feel like the B-25 does that. Um, so this is a B-25 bomber. Um, it's a medium bomber. It was used in uh, North Africa and a lot of other places. But probably the thing it's most famous for is it was the bomber that first attacked mainland Japan through the Doolittle Raid. So they actually put 18 of these airplanes on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and took them off of the aircraft carrier to drop bombs on mainland Japan. And so that's, that was the first offensive on mainland Japan from, from the US in World War II, and it was kind of a morale booster response to Pearl Harbor. Um, so that's why we got it. Um, as I said, it was restored. We've done a whole bunch of maintenance and upgrades and things like that over the years. We've had it for 12 years now, I think. Um, put an engine on on a couple years ago, little stuff like that. The, the uh, configuration paint scheme that you see on it right now is actually temporary movie paint. So for the TV, for the Hulu TV show, they wanted a specific squadron that accurately represented what would have been operated uh, out of an island in Italy. And so this was the paint scheme that would have been used. So they, this is actually, in theory, they tell us we'll wash off with some elbow grease and soap and water. <laughs> that being said, we thought it looked so cool. Like all this weathering and looks, yeah. it looks like worn paint is all hand painted detailing. Um, so it came back and we were just so stunned at how well it told the story of what a war beaten survivor would look like that we left it. Wow. You know, our Mustang looks perfect. The P40 looks perfect. And they would have at one point looked like that. Right. But, but they were, when, when they were in theater, that's not what they looked like. And we yeah. thought this told that story pretty well. I mean, does, uh, on any of these mid-century bombers, whenever I look at that, you know, that gunner seat, I just... My goodness, especially coming up on Memorial Day, just thinking about the guys who were sitting right plexiglass. there behind the plexiglass. Yeah. My goodness, my goodness, that's that's beautiful. That's very cool that you guys got to do that and get uh, help a production company get that done. And what a neat project! Yeah, it was a strange phone call. Yeah, like hi, want, this is Hulu. What? <laughs> hi, this is Hulu. Can we borrow a plane? Well, they were a little more close to the vessel, who they were and what they wanted to do. They said, would you for money fly your airplane to Italy and it was, or to Europe, I think was what they I said. And it was like, oh. did you ask if they were a Nigerian press? <laughs> <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> okay. And I drove home and I called my wife and I was like, I got this phone call today. And she's like, well, are you going to do it? And I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. I give it like a 1% chance of happening. And it just kept happening. And you know, three or four months later, they left. I was like, okay, I guess that was real. Yeah, my goodness. Well, I know you have a lot of other stuff in here. Uh, we're, we're kind of pushing up against our time slot, but I just wanted to uh, give an opportunity, especially, you know, Stephanie, as you notice, we're still in pandemic time. So that's why we've all been walking like this and giving Kurt a fit with filming. But that also means that a place like the Warburton Museum, you know, isn't having the foot traffic and things that they normally do. Um, so if you are interested in supporting the museum, we're going to flash up their website and social media feeds on the bottom of the screen here. But Stephanie, what are some of the events that you normally do if there wasn't a worldwide health pandemic going on? What are some of the events that people could expect here at the museum? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. Um, we, um, 
some of the things that we have planned or would have had planned this year um, would have been um, a Birds and Brews event, which um, the craft beer festival, um, come out and interact with the planes, uh, hear the stories and have a couple beers. Um, hopefully next year we'll have that um, up and running. Um, in the fall, we're hoping to have a rescheduled Wings and Wheels event, which would be vintage cars, drive-in, uh, barbecue, vendors, a kind of thing, something that's like low key laid back. Um, we do a veterans appreciation event a few times a year called Coffee with Kilroy. Um, we invite veterans to come in, um, have coffee and bagels on us, um, come in, see the museum, stay. You know, it's a free um, appreciation event for our, our veterans. Um, we will have one up and coming, hopefully, um, right around um, Veterans Day in November. Um, we have a few times a year a lecture series where we invite um, different speakers to come in and talk about um, what we would consider either aviation-related topics, um, you know, about, let's say, for, for example, the Blackbird or uh, World War II aviation um, or aviation or World War II related subjects. Uh, most recently, we had a Holocaust survivor come in January, um, right around um, the Auschwitz Remembrance Day. Um, for, for kids, like the audience of you know children, we ha are gonna launch this fall a Super Soaring Saturdays program, which is going to be um, a K through fifth grade program um, with an aviation STEM related theme, um, a, a Saturday a month. And we also have a really cool thing. Um, if you notice the Stearman plane at the very beginning of our tour, we have Santa fly in uh, in December on the plane. So um, hopefully we'll be having that happen uh, this coming December. Um, we just you know continually want to bring people in um, really to experience this living history. That's fantastic. Stephanie, David, thank you so much for having us, letting us poke around and take some of your time. Uh, don't forget that we are going to have our Mustang, not the giant one in the hangar, but our, yeah, we can have that. Oh, that was part of the underwriting, I thought. Was that not in there? We are going to be releasing on Wednesday, May 27th. Uh, so make sure you join our mailing list so you hear about that first when we do actually release. Uh, you, you don't want to miss it. We're only making 25 of these. And uh, if you are into aviation history, if you are an Air Force veteran, uh, or even if you just like cool limited edition rifles, you definitely want to check this out. So until next week, we'll see you later. We want to extend our deepest gratitude to military, police, first responders, and more by saying thank you with special pricing and discounts on all facts and products. Here's how you get started. First, you'll head on over to our website, factsandfirearms.com. From there, you'll want to click Support and Guardian Purchase Program in the drop-down. Then you'll see the instructions on how to get started, so let's just walk through those. First, you'll want to register for an account on our website. If you've already bought something from us on our website before, then this part's already taken care of. Second, you'll want to send a copy of your credentials or some reasonable verification of affiliation to customer service at factionfirearms.com. 
We get a lot of emails where people are like, hey, will this count? Will this ID count? Will this VA card count? Chances are, yes, a lot of them will count, but make sure you attach an image or a copy of that verification to the email before you even ask customer service. That way they can expedite the process for you. As soon as the account has been created or updated, we will send you an email letting you know that you're ready to go. The discount will be available anytime online when you go to your shopping cart. If you have any more questions, please email customer service at faxandfirearms.com.